Well, good morning. I'm excited to be here with you guys this morning. As we get started this morning, uh, we are going to be in Exodus chapter 34. So if you want to go ahead and be opening up, I would definitely encourage you to do so. As we get started this morning, uh, I just want to share, like I, I, was, I was pretty excited. Chad talked to me and he said, hey, Josh, would you be willing to come and teach on this day? And I said, uh, yes. Well, I said, let me talk to my wife first. Good, good decision. Uh, but then after that, I said, yes, I'd love to. And, he, and I said, what do you want me to preach on? And he said, hey, come see me this week and let's talk about it. And he sent me some stuff and we ended up sitting down to meeting to meet. And the, the cool part was he said, hey, I'm going to be in Exodus chapter 34 is where I'm going to be kind of starting things off at. We're going to do a series called God is Good. And y'all, I have been spending the past six or eight weeks in Exodus studying as it was. And so uh, it was just a cool example of God uh, and his provision and how he is good and how he puts us in the spots that we need to be to provide and to teach and to grow us. And so I'm thankful for that. So we are going to start in Exodus chapter 34. Just like Chad did last week, we're going to step out of Exodus 34 and then kind of come back, especially as we end today. Uh, But I do want us to start there. And so I just want to start by reading Exodus chapter 34. We're going to read one through nine and then we'll kind of pick up after that. So starting in verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, cut two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be prepared by morning, come up Mount Sinai in the morning and stand before me on the mountaintop. No one may go up with you. In fact, no one should be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and herds are not to graze in front of that mountain. Moses cut two stone tablets like the first ones. He got up early in the morning and taking the two stone tablets in his hand, he climbed Mount Sinai just as the Lord had commanded him. The Lord came down in a cloud, stood with him there and proclaimed his name, the Lord. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations. Forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. We're going to jump into verse 8 and 9 here in a little bit, but I want to stop there for now. Um, Week 1, you heard Chad talk a lot of chapter 34 and even went back in in chapter 33, but I want us to just remind ourselves of where we're at and what Moses is in the midst of right this second. So Moses has already been on Mount Sinai once, right? And what happened? He went up. God gave him the tablets. He had the Ten Commandments written on them. And God had been giving him a lot of other instruction while he's up there. And the people of Israel down the mountain began to get impatient and went to Aaron and said, we want something that we can worship. And Aaron said, okay, bring me your gold and made them a golden calf. And God said, go down from me so that my anger may burn. And Moses pleads with the Lord and goes back down and sees what's actually going down. And Moses got angry and literally threw the tablets that God had given him. And they broke. And so right there at the beginning of 34, what does he say? He says, bring two tablets like the first, which you broke, right? Just reminding him, hey, you broke those. Come on, brother. Um, A reminder right there. But I just want us to think about where Moses was at in his headspace. Like, he's like, what are these people doing? Are you kidding me? He had been up literally in the presence of God and these people are impatient enough to not even let him get back down and bring what God was going to bless them with. And so Moses is probably wrestling through a lot of that stuff. So there in verses 6 and 7 when when God says to Moses, is the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. Yes, he is. Just the fact that I'm back up on this mountain is an example of those things. 
right? And even more so, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Yes, he does. Because he's done it even in this example of the people would act this way and he's going to forgive in this moment and be patient with them in this moment. And so week one, we looked at some of this story and kind of walked through that. Week two, um, Chad specifically talked about how God is patient and he is slow to anger. This morning, we are going to talk about God is good because he is faithful. And so what I would like to do is I would like us to take a little bigger picture and be able to look back a little bit further about the other things that might have been going through Moses' head. Because if you think about it, this has been a life full of just a lot of things that go on for Moses and go on for the people of Israel. Um, there are, there's story after story after story of what God is doing for this people. And so I want us to take a look back and so, when, so that when we see God say, faithful, uh, abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, what are some of the things that Moses would have thought of at that moment? And being able to recognize as God being faithful to his people and loving them well. So we're going to flip all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 to start. We're just going to read a few verses there. Um, they will be on the screen, but if you would like to turn, you're welcome to. Uh, we read it as our opening verses, but I just want to read it again. So in Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1, it says, and this is the, the call of Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. We get to look back at this call of Abram. And, and really when we look just a couple chapters ahead in verse 15, we actually see the, the, the Abrahamic covenant that was, that was given to Abraham that would be a covenant that would, that would last and, and we would see play out for years and years and years and generations and generations to come. But even just these promises here at the beginning of chapter 12 have got some pretty big things in them. <laughs> I'm going to give you, um, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. Um, I will bless those who bless you, curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's a big statement. Even just the number of people that would be blessed, if just the people that were involved in that point would be blessed through him, that's huge. But that's not even the extent of that promise. That promise was that all people for all generations would be blessed through the line of Abraham. It's a pretty cool deal, and it's a huge promise. So I want us to just kind of have that as our starting point. And now we're going to go back to Exodus. So as we go into Exodus, um, we're going we're to land in chapter 12. We're going to read some verses there. But I just want us to, again, kind of get 30,000 foot view. What's happening as we start the book of Exodus? Where are the people of Israel at? Where, is, where does Moses come in? How do we get here? Right? Well, the beginning of Exodus starts with or kind of ends with the, with the end of Joseph's time. If you know the story of Joseph, many of you in the room probably do. What happened to Joseph? Well, God had used him to save his family even after his brothers had mistreated him and, and all but left him to die, sold him into slavery, put him in a terrible spot, but God was faithful to Joseph. Joseph got put into a slavery-type position, accused wrongly, got put in prison. He remained and, and trusted in the Lord and God blessed him. And then what, God, then what did God do? God raised him up to be in a position of power. He, he gave him the ability to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh, to tell Pharaoh, hey, you're going to have seven years of abundance. And it's going to be awesome. Like God is going to bless all of the people here and all of your land. And you're going to have much. But after those seven years, what's going to come? It's going to be seven years of famine. 
So you need to prepare now. And so Pharaoh trusted Joseph. I don't know why. He was literally a prisoner, but he trusted him. Said, I, I believe your interpretation of this dream. And so what happens? Joseph gets put in charge of this, uh, of this like storing up of the abundance so that for the seven years of famine, the people of Egypt could survive. So, so what did God do? God used Joseph to bless the people of Egypt. We know there was more to it than that, right? Because who did he also bless? We also saved his people, Joseph's family. Joseph's brothers come. They, they, they beg for this food. They say, well, bring whatever. And Joseph plays a little bit of a game with them, but ultimately reveals himself and forgives his brothers. It's a beautiful story, right? And ultimately, Joseph and his brothers get to live in this land. They're given much land. They have a lot uh, abundance-wise. Like they are, they are protected. They are provided for for these years. And so we start off Exodus with, with Joseph actually dying. Right? And what happens is the new king of Egypt, Joseph, and ultimately God had done through Joseph for the people of Egypt. And he forgets and he says, wow, these, these Israelites, they're getting to be too many. I, I don't like it. They're, they're, they are growing way faster than is okay with me. And uh, I don't like it. We're going to have to cut back on these numbers a little bit. And so what does he do? He says, I've got a plan. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to start killing off all of the male babies of the people of Israel. Because they have too many people. We need to, we need to cut it back. Terrible thing. Disgusting. Like, I, it, it, it hurts to even think about that being the strategy that we're going to take. And that's what, that's what the king of Egypt says he's going to do. And so, um, what do we see? We see Joseph come into the story. I'm, I'm sorry, we see Moses come into the story. Moses' Moses's mom has Moses, tries to protect and take care of Moses, and, and God does. He protects him, doesn't allow him to, to be killed. Moses' mom places him in a basket. He is found by the king of Egypt's daughter. And so now uh, Moses gets to grow up literally in the house of the king of Egypt. God is protecting Moses. God is protecting a, a remnant of his people through this, Right? So what do we see? Moses grows up, does something stupid, murders a man, flees, tries to just get out and start a new life and do something different. And then we start to pick up with this story where God would call Moses, right? He shows up to him. How does he show up to him? In a burning bush, right? And God says to Moses, you're going to go and you, I'm going to use you to help deliver my people out from under this hand of the king of Egypt. So we see this story starting to unfold. Um, how does God do that? Well, he brings these plagues, right? He says, hey, here's the deal. Pharaoh's heart's going to be hard, and I'm going to begin to display my power, and you're going to be a part of that. And initially, Moses' response is actually, no, not me. <laughs> I can't talk. You don't, I got a stutter. You don't, no, 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 not me. And God's like, are you kidding me? Like, I just showed up to you in a burning bush. Come on, right? But he says, that's okay. I'll send Aaron with you. It's okay. So God provides, even though Moses is, is just not trusting just like we are, but, right? Moses, Moses kind of shies away. The point we get to is God begins to do these different plagues and these different demonstrations of his power before his people and before Pharaoh. And we jump to chapter 12 where we are at the last of the plagues. And so in chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 29 and, and following. Um, just, just know that we've already went through quite a few plagues. We've already been to a point where Pharaoh has, has maybe relented slightly and then all of a sudden jumped back in and said, no, 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 no way, I'm not letting, I'm not letting your people go. 
And, and, and we've already seen the people of Israel kind of waver on their trust in God too because as soon as Moses went in and said, I'm going to do this and tries to make the first display, Pharaoh kind of says, well, no, I'm going to make it even harder on these people now. And then what do the people say to Moses? Well, they say, Moses, why did you come in here and make it harder on us? So they've already wavered in their trust that God is actually going to do what he says he's going to do and that God's going to be faithful. But guess what? God remains faithful. So here we go. Verse 29 in chapter 12. Now at midnight, the Lord struck every firstborn, firstborn male in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon. And every firstborn of the livestock... During the night, Pharaoh got up, he along with all his officials and all the Egyptians, and there was a loud wailing throughout Egypt because there wasn't a house without someone dead. He summoned Moses and Aaron during the night and said, Get out immediately from among my people, both you and the Israelites, and go worship the Lord as you have said. Take even your flocks and your herds as you have asked and leave, and also bless me. Now the Egyptians pressured the people in order to send them quickly out of the country for they said, we're all going to die. So the people took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls wrapped up in their claws on their shoulders. The Israelites acted on Moses' words and asked the Egyptians for silver and gold items and for clothing. And the Lord gave the people such favor with the Egyptians that they gave them what they requested. In this way, they plundered the Egyptians. Because this is uh, just... The practical act of God saving his people from out from under the hand of the king of Egypt. If, if you have read this story before, you know it's not quite over yet, right? Because they get halfway out and then Pharaoh all of a sudden changes his mind again. But this is the spot where he finally tells them to go. And whenever he does change his mind and try to pursue again, God's faithful yet again to protect his people. Yet again to make a way. He parts the Red Sea and then allows the waters to come back as soon as they get out of the Red Sea. Because this is a great display of God making a promise to Abram a long time ago and then doing whatever it took to keep his promise for these people. I think as we, as we read now in 34, when, he said, when God says to Moses about himself, the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations. If I had my guess, this is one of the things that would have come to Moses' mind. Like that moment of Pharaoh getting up and saying, go, take your people with you. And also just ask that God would bless me. Because you serve a powerful God that I, I, I mean, I can't. Like, I, I think that's something that, Mo, that probably would have went through Moses' head. Maybe not immediately, but in the next couple of minutes, couple of hours, during his time up on the mountain, I guarantee you that's something he thinks through. He thinks of, he is reminded of. We get to see God just practically act out and give a good gift to his people in an act of faithfulness, a display of his faithfulness to his people, to Abram. And then now to the people of Israel. As we read that, I, I hope that you see this, this picture of the fact that God is faithful. I hope that you see that good gifts of God many times are used to just display his faithfulness to us. And in this case, um, it took a lot and God was willing to go to extreme measures to do so. So, so I, I t tell us this and, and I kind of work through this. I want us to now be able to shift a little bit and think through what Moses' response was at this time. 
when we look to chapter 33 and then again in chapter 34, I just want us to be able to, 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 to kind of to see and understand because what we see Moses respond with at multiple different points when God would give him a good gift and when he would bless him and even show him his faithfulness and or even what we see in the people of Israel and their response to some of these good gifts is ones that we would look and go, I can't believe they responded that way. But if we were honest with ourselves, we are very much likely to respond the same way they did when we are blessed with examples of God's faithfulness in our life. When we're given good gifts of God, what is our response? So I just want us to think about that for a minute because, again, what happens after they get out of Egypt, right? They get out into the land and what is almost their very first response? What now? Now we're stuck out here. We're just going to die out here. That was their response. What had God just done? He had just displayed for them so practically his favor, his faithfulness to protect and provide and take care of and take you out from under an evil, evil king. And the almost immediate response was, what's the next gift that you're going to give? Because I don't know if the last one was good enough. So then what does God do? Well, he provides water. And what is their response? That's not enough. God provides manna. That's not enough. God provides meat. That's not enough. Time and time again, we see their response to be these displays of God's faithfulness, these good gifts of God that he gives to protect and provide and take care of. And their response was, I want more of these good gifts. Time and time and time again. And mind you, I, I, I think that if we were honest about the spot that we're in and the blessings that we have experienced, if we were to actually be honest, when we look back at good gifts of God that he gives us and, and, and see his faithfulness in our lives, a lot of times it's not long after that our response is, what's next? Like, how are you going to bless me next? Because I, I need another good gift. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to take a look at chapter 33. Because Moses, in chapter 33, responds a little bit differently. And then he does it again in chapter 34. So we're going to read again. Um, but in um, Exodus, chapter 33, and we're going to start right in verse 12. What has God promised right here? So God has actually promised that he's going to take them to their new land, is basically what he's promised. But I, I just want you to see Moses' response. Moses said to the Lord, Look, you have told me, lead this people up, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor with me. Now, if I have indeed found favor with you, please teach me your ways, and I will know you, so that I may find favor with you. Now consider that this nation is your people. And he replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Verse 15. If your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, don't make us go up from here. If your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, don't make us go up from here. Moses' response here is different than it has been in a lot of other spots. God's actually made another promise to actually bless them with some good gifts of, of health, wealth, and, and land, right? Like that's practically, God had made some of those promises. He said, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you good gifts. I'm going to lead you into the land of milk and honey, right? We see some of those gifts promised. And Moses actually finally says here that if you're not going to go with us, don't make us go. 
chapter 34, verse 8. So after God had made the declarations about himself that we read at the beginning, what, is, what does he say again? Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshiped. Then he said, my Lord, if I have indeed found favor with you, my Lord, please go with us. Moses has finally had a heart change. And we see examples of this. This isn't the only time where Moses actually responds, I think, in a little bit healthier of a manner. But, but practically, this, these two are huge in my opinion. Because for the first, or, or, or at least one really good example of his response was, give, he was given a good gift of God, and his response was, I want to be with you. Parents in the room. Many of you have probably been in a spot where if you think back on your life, I know when I think back on mine, and I think to when I was younger, when I was a kid growing up, when my parents got me a good gift, what did I do? Well, many times I'd run off and play with it for hours, right? And or I may even come back in the room and say, well, this Batman's great, but I'd really love the car that goes with it, right? Or I love this Lego set, but what if we had this one that we could put next to each other. This Hot Wheels car is cool, but that one would race really good with it. Right? Anybody's kids ever done that? Okay, like two of you raised your hand. So my child must just be way worse than yours. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Probably. Yeah, so... I, like, I, I can vividly actually remember asking some questions like that whenever I was given a gift. And I can remember, like, going and just playing with whatever good gift for hours on end. Is that a bad thing? No, not by any stretch of the imagination. But I just want to think now about when I'm given a good gift. I think probably those of you that are older than me will probably understand this and practically do this better than I do. But when you're given a good gift, let's say by your spouse, let's say by your kids even, what is your response? Do you normally run out of the room with that gift? Probably not. Makes you want to hug and embrace that person that gave you the good gift. Like you're driven to a place where it's like, no, actually now I, I, I want to spend time with you. It's like that good gift is good and I'm super thankful. Like that is going to be enjoyable. I'm going to enjoy that. But the good gift is actually the fact that now I can spend time with you. That was a display of, of your care and your love for me. And so now I'm at a point where actually, I just want to spend time with you. As we get older, I think we see that more and more because we understand the, the fleeting nature of these good gifts that we can receive and we can get. I think what's happening here for Moses is he has received a lot of good gifts of God. Yes, he's been through a lot of hard things, but practically he's also seen God's power displayed and, and seen a lot of good gifts. He's seen God's good gifts displayed so that we would understand God's faithfulness. And he's finally at a point where he goes, although the thing that you're promising me is a good gift, I understand now that what I actually need is you. Like That good gift without you with it is nothing. I don't want that. So, so my question for us in the room is, when God shows his faithfulness to us, when we get to see practically God is good because he is faithful and he provides in tangible ways to us, what is our response? Is it, that was good, but when's the next promotion? That was good, but man, this house doesn't have that. 
that child's a brat. I need the next one. <laughs> right? I don't say that about mine. <laughs> right? Like, what is my actual response? Many times, sadly, my response is, what is the next good gift that you've got for me? When in all reality, the real satisfaction, the real joy, the real thing that that good gift should drive me to is to say, God, you are good, you are faithful, and I want to be with you. Like, I want to spend time reading and understanding who you are. I want to know you. I want to be with you. I want to spend time in prayer, seeking your face. I want to be in community with other believers, knowing you more. Because that is the gift. Like, if you're looking forward to uh, eternity because you want to enjoy streets of gold, then you missed it. The beautiful part about eternity for those that are saved is that they get to enjoy the Father. They get to be with Jesus. And so I, I, I hope that as we sit here and we look and we get to say God is good and we celebrate these things and we even look back on tangible things that God has done that, that are good things and are blessings and are, and are things that we ought to celebrate. I hope that we don't celebrate them because they are a good gift. I hope that we celebrate them because they point to a good father. I hope that we celebrate them and, they, uh, and we allow God to point our hearts towards, hey, I want to know you more. I want to be with you. So w- w- what does this actually look like? Well, there's a couple things that I want us to be reminded of and I want us to kind of work through and wrestle through and, and just think about as we, as we kind of go back out into the week because to, to, to say that out loud and then to practically act on it is sometimes difficult. So I want us to just be able to slow down and think through a little bit. So, so number one, there are some of you in the room that may have never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you may not even know or believe that God is good. Like, I hope that as we've studied this story, that there's a lot there, but ultimately God is faithful to do what he says he's going to do. He's faithful to act on his promises. He's faithful to protect his people. And so when God says, I will say, like, when... What we believe and what the Bible tells us and what Jesus tells us is if you believe in him as Savior and Lord, you will be saved. Again, what is it that we're actually looking for at that point? Well, we're not looking for physical riches. We're not looking necessarily just for um, enjoyment in relationships with other people here. We're not just looking for... um, these temporal things that many times in our current culture and world that we get caught up in. No, we're actually looking to be with the Father. We're actually looking to spend an eternity with God forever. That's actually what you are hoping in, not in these other things. So, so for the person in the room that you may not know Jesus, you may not believe that, I, I want to paint one more picture before we, before we kind of move to the very end. I want us to realize that this example here in Exodus 12 and then again in 34, like when we go all the way back to Genesis 12 and it says, I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on earth we blessed through you. Like it's easy for us to sit here and say there in Exodus chapter 12, well, God was blessing the people of Israel of the day and that's great, but that's not all he was doing. What was God also doing in Exodus 12? Well, he was continuing on this people of Israel. Why would he do that? Well, obviously because he had promised, but for even a bigger picture. And what is that? 
That is the fact that he would continue on this people and continue to, to make a way for this people of Israel so that one day Jesus might come. God is using this to tell this story, to paint this picture, to provide this way so that Jesus could come. And what would Jesus do? Jesus would come, live a perfect life, be killed, be crucified on the cross, raised three days later, so that if we believe in him as Savior and Lord, we could be saved. So this display of faithfulness for the people of Israel in chapter 12 is not just a display of faithfulness for them. It's a display of faithfulness for us. That he would continue on the work that he had promised. Without him continuing on the people of Israel, we don't have... Like, we ought to rejoice in what happens in Exodus chapter 12 and following. We ought to find hope in the fact that he was again making a way. He was again continuing on this promise and this covenant that he had made. We ought to rejoice in that. One other thing I just want us to think about, talk about... Uh, many of us in the room, like we sit here and I, and I can say all day that, hey, we don't want to just rejoice in the good gifts. We want to rejoice in the good gift giver because we understand those gifts in light of who he is. But how do you do that? What do you do to set yourself up to actually act in that way? If we go back to Exodus chapter 12 and we read towards the beginning of Exodus chapter 12, what did God institute there in Exodus chapter 12? The Feast of Unleavened Bread or the Passover. God had them on this night before he would deliver them. He said, hey, I'm going to set up this meal. And he said, we're going to set it up and you're going to do it every year. Did they need to be delivered out from under the hand of Egypt every year? No. They did not, right? But what did God know? God knew that not long after they left, they would forget. God knew that they would be tempted to, to just seek out the next good gift and not actually be reminded and remember and rejoice in the goodness of God. So what did God do? God said, hey, you're going to do this every year. And you're going to take this bitter herb and it's going to remind you of the bitterness of slavery. And it's going to remind you of the bitterness of losing sons to this king of Egypt. You're going to you're gonna have to like eat it until literally you cry. That's the plan here. Because I want you to be reminded of the bitterness of that. And then what? Then you're going to eat of the lamb? Because guess what? You, you had to slaughter the lamb and then paint the blood on the doorposts? Because in this story, in chapter 12, the Israelites didn't lose their firstborn. God was already painting this picture of provision and of protection for those people. Right? And then you're going to take of this cup and they would have drank the cup probably four times and they would have said it would have been enough. It would have been enough and it would have been enough and they would have just declared these good things that God did for them throughout this story that we see here in Exodus. And he said, you're going to do that that night and then you're going to continue to do that every single year. Why? Because they needed to be reminded of God's goodness and be reminded of those good gifts that point to God's faithfulness because he knows that they and we are quick to forget. So here's my question. What are the things, what are the recurring practices in your life that you have set up that remind you of the good gifts of God and what he's done for you? What are the things that you set up that God has called us to set up maybe in his word or maybe other things that, that, that you have said, I need to remember this. I need to, to make this a road marker on the road on a regular basis that I'm going to do that calls me to stop and go, God, you are good. What is that for you? 
What is it that resets you and lets you go? This is a good gift, but, but even more, God, I love you and I want to be with you because that is the ultimate good gift. So as, as we leave here today, what I want you to do is as you go to life groups, and if you're not in a life group, well, go to life group this week and next and forever. But what I want you to do is if you're not in a life group, meet with some people this week. I want you to talk about what are the things that I have in my life that stop me and say to me, God is good and I want to be with him. Church on Sunday morning ought to do that, right? Your small groups ought to do that. But guys, there, there, there is so much more and there ought to be regular practice in our lives where it points us back to God's goodness and we can rejoice and worship God because of the good gifts and, and because of the reminder it is of his faithfulness for us. So here's the deal. I'm about to close us out. I, I, I hope that as we have studied in chapter 34 and, and kind of all over the place this morning, I hope that number one, you've seen that God is faithful. God made a promise to Abram and he time and time and time again realistically but there in chapter 12 like it was a very apparent reason and, 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 and opportunity that God just said I'm going to protect my people I'm going to continue them on I'm going to make a way it was a great display of faithfulness I hope that you've seen that God is faithful to give good gifts but his faithfulness isn't dependent on that at this point like if we're not blessed financially or, or even health wise it doesn't mean that God's not faithful because Man, there are still example after example after example in our own lives where he is. And ultimately, I hope that as we, as we see these good gifts played out in our lives, I pray, I hope that we would be able to see those and turn our attention to, I want to be with you, God. Because I promise the joy, the satisfaction, the fulfillment that we need is not found in the next good gift. It's found in the good gift giver. And so I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. And then I'm going to go to the corner of the room. For those of you in the room that may not know Jesus and don't know the good gift giver, I would love to talk to you about it. And I pray that the Lord would, 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 would move in your heart and that you would see that God is good. And that you would understand that these good things of the world or temporal and they haven't actually led up to any kind of satisfaction or real joy in your life that they all fall short and the reason why is because only Jesus satisfies I hope that you can see that if you um, are, are, are wrestling through hey, hey I am just rejoicing in good gifts and, and not actually rejoicing in the Father what does that look like come talk to me I encourage you to have those type of conversations in your small group this afternoon or throughout this week but guys God is good because he is faithful to us. God, I'm so thankful. Lord, I'm thankful that uh, we have a church that, that pursues you and looks to you. Lord, I, I'm thankful for men and women in this church that remind me on a regular basis that God is good and that he is faithful and that he does provide and he does do good things for us. But even more so, I'm thankful that I have men and women in the church that point me to the fact that my ultimate joy and satisfaction has to be in Jesus, not in those good gifts. And so, Lord, as we close our time this morning, Lord, I pray that you would wrestle in our hearts and bring us to a point of just humbleness and bring us to a point where we would just rejoice in God, not in those good gifts. 
Lord, I pray that those good gifts would just be used to point us to who he is. I pray that we could see plainly in our lives how God gives us good gifts just to point to his faithfulness and that we would rejoice in that. Lord, I pray that uh, the unbeliever in the room this morning, Lord, I pray that you would move in their heart. I pray that you would give them the opportunity to see you and know that you are good and that they would desire to trust in you as Savior and Lord. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.